Chapter 2 of The Browns at Mount Hermon by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 2 Mary Jane Brown. At last, the little story in a half house that was supposed to shelter the other Mary Brown was found. It was not early in the afternoon when the searcher, who had numerous obstacles to overcome, was at last rewarded by its sight, but there was no air of afternoon leisure about the stuffy little place. The small, unswept porch on which the sun beat down fiercely was a litter of home-made playthings and of children. The tiny yard was simply doing duty as a place for rubbish of all sorts. A woman who looked overworked and discouraged seemed to be trying to divide her time between a bubbling mixture on the stove that was bent on boiling over, and the sorting of a box of tomatoes that stood among the playthings, the noisy children about her coming in for their share of attention as necessity demanded. She owned to being Mrs. Brown, and hastily dusted a chair for her collar with her apron while she answered questions. "'Mary Brown? You mean Mary Jane? No, she ain't at home, and what's more she won't be for a whole month, maybe longer.' The sentence closed with a sigh that marked the mother's opinion of the eternity stretching between her daughter and herself. "'A letter! For her? You don't say! And you read it thinking it was yours? So you were Mary Brown, too! Ain't that queer now? But I don't know as it is, either. There's a sight of Browns in the world, and about half of them seem to be named Mary. Me and Mary Jane was talking about that only the other day. Ma says she, I wished you had named me Susanna or Roxanna or anything else in life except Mary Jane. She got so kind of tired of hearing the name over and over, you know. Where we used to live there was a dozen of them, I do believe. And so you're another? Stopping at the hotel? It was real kind of you to come away out here with that letter. The hotel is a mighty nice place, ain't it? But dreadful expensive. My land, it don't seem as though there could be folks in the world who had money enough to board at a hotel. Sit down, do, and rest. The long-suffering apron was again called into service to make Mrs. Brown's hands fit to grasp the letter. Then she went immediately into a struggle with its contents, and her caller, dropping into the dusted chair, studied this new specimen of humanity. So there were people who considered the Circleville Hotel a mighty nice and also an expensive place. Nothing had seemed stranger to her than the ridiculously small amount that had been charged her for room and board. Here was a woman to whom her house party at Euston Square would be a revelation. Heretofore she had given almost no thought to the respectable multitude known in general terms as the middle class. Might they not be an interesting class to study? She could begin with the Browns. She was recalled from her musings by a series of exclamatory phrases. "'Well, now, ain't that mean! Well, I do say! If that ain't for all the world just Mary Jane's luck! It does beat all how luck follows some folks! And there ain't a better girl in the country than my Mary Jane, either! Don't it seem kind of too bad?' There was appeal in the last sentence, and Miss Brown felt a longing desire to be sympathetic. "'I don't believe I understand the situation,' she said gently. "'Is the letter unsatisfactory?' "'Why, of course you don't understand. It's just like me to run on without any head or tail to what I'm saying. Look here, you children, run out to the pig-pen and play till I get done talking. You make such a racket a body can't hear herself think. Why, no, there ain't anything unsatisfactory about the letter except the time of getting it. Why, it's this way. This letter's from California. Did you notice that?' It's a good ways off. You have to travel on the cars pretty nigh two days to get to it. It's down where there's some kind of a camp meeting right in the woods. An awful pretty place, they say. There's mountains and water and big trees and everything, and they have a meeting there all summer long. And this woman is down there running a boarding house and is terrible short of health. She used to live near here before she went to California, and she's got a real smart niece back in the country that she rode out to, to get her to come and help this summer, and she'd pay her good wages. But the niece is going to be married before the summer is over, and she is a friend of my Mary Jane, so she came over to get her to go in her place. Now my Mary Jane is kind of wild to take a trip on the cars, and especially to go to California. She always has wanted to go there, ever since she began to study about it in the geography. 
and she kind of liked the notion of the meetings, too. She ain't never had much chance, Mary Jane hasn't, just stuck at home and helped her mother, but mostly she wanted to get away for a spell. She's going to get married sometime if he ever gets forehanded enough to do it. I don't know when it will be. He's had his mother to take care of, and she's been sickly, and there was doctor's bills and medicine, and then there was funeral expenses. Yes, she died along in the spring, and he misses her dreadful. Poor fellow, he was as good a son as ever lived, and got her everything he could think of, and he gave her a real nice funeral. But he had to run in debt, of course, and so they don't know when they can get married. She's been engaged to him now for more than three years, and I guess she kind of thought a change would do her good. Ma, she says to me, how do you suppose it would seem for John and I not to see each other for months? We're so kind of used to each other now that we think we couldn't manage it apart, but wouldn't it be a good plan to find out? That was a queer notion, wasn't it? I don't know as I more than half like it in a girl that's engaged to be married. Good land, I says to her, if you think you could stand it apart, why don't ever get married? That's my way of looking at it. Married life is trying enough anyhow you can fix it, and if you can stay in life apart it's a first-rate sign that you better keep it so. Ain't that your way of looking at it? And then her uncle he put in and helped. He works for the railroad and he did some things for them last year and saved them some trouble and some money, and they give him passes on the road and he fixed it so Mary Jane could go without its costing her much, and that made her bent on going, and she wrote that she would like to come in the other girl's place and got herself ready and waited and waited and no answer came. And here, only last Monday, she give up and went off to a family that had been kind of coaxing for her all the spring. And now, just as she is fast bound at the other place, comes along this letter. Ain't that luck for you? Serves that Miss Roberts just right. She needn't have dawdled along that way about writing. And now she thinks my girl can start up at a minute's notice and go. Wants her to start on the 10th, doesn't she? And that's tomorrow, ain't it? Don't it beat all how things work? She held out the letter as she spoke, as though it belonged to her caller, who took it mechanically as she said, you mean that you do not think your daughter will go now? Mrs. Brown stared. Why, she can't, she said. How could she? The folks where she has gone have been waiting for her for weeks, and they was as pleased as could be when she told them she would come and stay till November, and they sent off the help they had in her place and give up the chance they had of another girl. So of course Mary Jane is bound. She's honest, my girl is, and help is terrible scarce around here. No, I shan't take the trouble to send the letter out to her. It ain't of no use now. Whereupon Miss Brown realized that she had received a lesson in honor from one of those who were called the common people, and felt a fresh accession of respect for them. She was also sorry for Mary Jane. "'It seems a pity,' she said sympathetically, "'that your daughter should be disappointed at last when the opportunity has come to her.' The mother gave her a penetrative glance and grew more confidential. "'Well, between you and me, I ain't been laying awake nights wishing for her to go. I wouldn't have put a feather's weight in her way, but seeing I had nothing to do with it, I'm going to own up that I'm mighty glad not to have her go away off there alone among strangers, and no telling how she would be treated. Not but that I wanted her to have an outing, too. The fact is, I've been awfully mixed in my mind all along. I don't know as she will ever have another chance to go on the cars or anywhere. He is a nice fellow as ever was, but of course he is far from forehanded. In fact, he's in debt. He couldn't help it being the kind of son he was. And if they can get a place to live in where he can afford to pay the rent, I guess they'll try it together next spring, but land, there'll be no such thing as outings. They'll have to bone down to just living. You know how it is when folks is poor? I don't know as you do, but my land I do, and so does Mary Jane. Why, they ain't planning even to go to town on a wedding trip. John was talking about it the last time he was here. We'll walk from the church, says he, straight over to our house, if we have the good luck to have a house, and be tickled to death at the chance of going to it together. That's the way he feels, and I'm glad he does. Well, being things are as they are, I can't help being glad that she's only ten miles away from me this last summer, instead of hundreds. I call it her last summer, because in a way it is. Mothers lose their girls after they get married, you know. Still, I like John first-rate, and he was awfully good to his mother. 
I guess maybe you know, John. Did you have any luggage down at the station? Well, the man that handled it was likely John. He is kind of at the head of it all down there. Was he a big man with blue eyes and kind of reddish whiskers? That's John. John Jackson, his name is. Ma, Mary Jane says to me once, if his name had been John Brown, wouldn't it have been dreadful? If it had, says she, I wouldn't have married him. I will have a different name at least. That is the way she talked, but it's my belief that she'd marry him if his name was Snooks and hers was too. But I'm unfeeling enough not to be sorry that this letter didn't come in time, since I didn't lift my little finger to hinder it. And then Miss Brown rose up, her decision made. She had heard the mother's family history, while at the same time she carried on her own train of thought. "'I understand your feeling,' she said gently. "'My mother has been long gone, but I think if she were here, she would keep me close to her as long as she could. Would you like to have me reply to this letter for you and explain the situation?' Mrs. Brown's face beamed her thanks, and her tongue was once more voluble. "'Well, now, I call that real kind. I won't deny that I'd rather do a day's washing any time than to write a letter. And Mary Jane is dreadful busy out there, even if she had the letter, and I don't see no use in sending it to her and stirring things up again now that it's too late. I'm kind of sorry for the woman, and I don't mind your telling her so, for my Mary Jane is a big loss. She ain't ever worked out before, but she knows how, and she works with her conscience as well as with her fingers.' And then Miss Brown was fairly out on the street, and a remarkable resolve in her heart. She would answer that letter but it should be in person. Why not? She was Mary Brown, certainly. Evidently, so far as her correspondence with Mrs. Roberts was concerned, the other Mary Brown had ignored her middle name. She had never in her life worked out, but neither had the other Mary Brown, and she believed herself to be a capable girl and willing to learn, which seemed to be the chief requisites. She had also heard of summer camp meetings and never attended one, and she had as weary a longing for something different as ever this Mary could have. Although she had given the matter much thought, she had not been able to plan any outing for herself that was not utterly distasteful in prospect, and here was Providence, or Fate, opening the way in an extraordinary manner for a new sensation. She smiled over her involuntary use of that word Providence, and then sighed a little. She knew people who seemed to make use of the word as a sort of charm, and she knew a few, a very few, who seemed to derive comfort from its use. Such she had envied. There was in the fashionable world to which she belonged a very large circle of acquaintances, each of whom would have stared in wonder over the idea that Mary Brown, of Euston Square, was a subject for pity. She was young, she had perfect health, she was so distinctly fine-looking that many people called her beautiful, she was the sole heiress of the late Everett Thornton Brown, millionaire, she was the sole mistress of as fine a mansion as any of the especially fine ones on Euston Square, what more could a reasonable being desire? Yet the sorrowful fact remains that there were days together when it would have been hard to find a more lonely and desolate person in all the great city which was her home than this same Mary Brown. Sometimes her desolateness so preyed upon her that she walked the streets in sheer despair over the thought of going back to the great dreary house which she called home. She wanted a real home, with father and mother and brothers and sisters and song and laughter and good cheer. Occasionally she had glimpses of such homes in passing, before the selfish curtains were drawn close. They were always seen through a mist of tears. Sometimes there was a glimpse to be had of a baby, one of those laughing, springing creatures whose perfect limbs seemed to be strung on wires. Once or twice, when a sash was raised, she had caught the gurgle of sweet baby laughter, and had been obliged to hastily shield her face from curious eyes because of the tears that were blinding her. When she was a girl of sixteen there had been such a baby in their home. She was nearly twenty-six now, and had been alone in the world and desolate for five interminable years. She wanted a friend. Oh, more than anything else in this world, the poor young woman told herself that she needed a real friend. Friends she had, of course, in plenty. 
why she was so used to being sought after and quoted and copied that there were days when she perversely hated it all. But go over her long list of acquaintances as carefully as she might, not one could be singled out upon whom to bestow the kind of feeling she meant when she used that word, friend. She had tried. There had been continuous weeks during which she had earnestly cultivated what she afterwards called a spasm of intimacy, trying to make herself believe that at last she had found a friend indeed, only to be disappointed and to have instead an embarrassing intimacy on her hands. She grew afraid of intimacies, at least of the solitary sort, and her next venture had been the adoption of an entire family. End of chapter 2